Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. So glad you're here today. I am excited to bring you Beth Syverson. You may remember Beth on the last Constellation Conversation roundtable discussion that we did a few weeks back. She was the adoptive parent of the triad that I had on. Beth is an adoptive mom of a 19-year-old son, Joey, who's been struggling with addiction and mental health issues for several years. She struggles with addiction as well, though not with the same substances as her son. This experience has given her empathy for her son's struggles. She's walking beside Joey as he struggles with his recovery while she works on her own personal growth and healing. Joey and Beth started Safe Home Podcast in August of 2021 in order to help other families avoid the pain they've endured. Six weeks after it started, Joey relapsed, but he gave Beth his blessing to continue this important work, even suggesting an episode about relapse. Now the podcast has a new name, Unraveling Adoption, and she's continuing the work focusing on supporting adoptive parents. Last fall, she started Aptitude, a support group for adoptive parents facing adoption challenges. Beth is committed to destigmatizing addiction and mental illness, and she wants to help other families touched by adoption to find their own healing path. Here's my interview with Beth Syverson. Hi, Beth. Welcome to Mind Your Own Karma. Hey, thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm just going to jump right into the questions because I have so much I want to ask you. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us why you uh, decided to adopt and how you ultimately became Joey's mom? Okay, so my husband at the time and I were trying to get pregnant. I was uh, feeling the clock ticking. I was in my late 30s and we tried for like a year and a half and couldn't get pregnant. And so we went through infertility, which is a really brutal process. It is so hard and there's so much pressure and it's money and hormones and it is kind of a nightmare. And it it, it also was not working. And the infertility clinic was just keeping me going. They're like, try again, try again. Cause of course they want more money. And, and, uh, at a certain point, I just couldn't. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Every month I was just getting devastated and just yeah. grieving so badly. And I was practically suicidal. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I should have taken that as a sign to divorce my husband and <laughs> move on with my life. <laughs> but I still wanted that baby, that yeah. drive to make a family is so strong. Mm. So we flipped to adoption. Uh, I was fine. I was happy to do adoption at that point. My ex-husband was not super on board at the first, but we found out that you could adopt from Japan and he was Japanese American. One of you has to be Japanese to adopt from there. Okay. And they do very few a year, maybe like 20 a year. It's oh, very wow. small. Yeah. It's a very high abortion rate in Japan. Oh. And most of the time family members take care of um, babies. But mm. so they have these babies and it was a maternity hospital. A doctor and his wife basically ran this agency. So they just took care of the babies that the family, for whatever reason, couldn't take care of. So we signed up with them. How'd you even find out about that? Just one of one of my ex-husband's family members did the same thing, like oh, a wow. second cousin or something. So it's like, hey, so-and-so did this. Mm. And since then, I've met several other people 
uh, through my church and other people that oh, have wow. adopted through the same agency. Oh, but wow. it's a very small, yeah. small compared to Koreans and Chinese, you know, it's really mm-hmm. small. But in and they, you know, Japanese take care of their babies beautifully. Uh, he was in a hospital the whole time, not an orphanage. They don't do orphanages there. So he was healthy. Uh, I think he got well cared for. Actually, one of the nurses took him home every night after a while or every weekend or something like she Mm. sort of fostered him. Mm -hmm. So that must have been very nice. But still, he was passed around every eight hours to someone new. So I'm sure that was not fun. And then we didn't get him till he was seven months old. And so he's in a, a newborn maternity ward. And he's seven months old. He should be crawling wow. around and like yeah. getting into trouble, but he's stuck, you know, so mm. he made up for it later though, because he's <laughs> extremely active child. <laughs> so I don't know if that is because of that or if he was super uncomfortable there because he couldn't move, you know, right. couldn't move freely. So, yeah. Yeah. So we picked him up from Japan at seven and a half months. Mm. Did you guys have to go back and forth a few times or? No, no, they did it pretty good. I know sometimes people go to Korea twice or whatever. They just, we had to go for two weeks and we had to meet with the embassy first when we got there and then get the baby and then meet the embassy later and go to the doctor and da 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 da. Mm. Um, so we had to stay there for a while, but it was fun. We, we tootled all around and, um, Tokyo, we were just in Tokyo, but it was an amazing city. I would love to go back there and, uh, I only got a few really bad looks. Some of the older Japanese people do mm. not like white people holding their babies. Oh wow! But most of the people were really, really nice to us, and it was it was a lovely, lovely time. I hope that Joey will someday want to go back because yeah. I want to go back with him someday. So, in those early stages um, of Joey's life, what did what did you think your role as an adoptive parent was, and did you think it was going to be different than a biological than raising a biological child? I thought it was the same. I'm sorry to say, because now I know so much different and that's why I'm doing the work I'm doing right now, but to help educate other people. But I thought, all right, he won't notice. He's little. He, he, you know, I was of the, the thought that he won't even remember this. He'll just grow up with us and he'll just think this is how it is. Silly me. I didn't know. No one told me, you know, and it was, like I said, such a small agency and Japanese are not known for digging deeply Mm -hmm. into emotional issues anyway. Yeah. And so they certainly didn't tell me about adoption trauma. I don't know if any of them even thought about it, but I was blissfully unaware. And my son was much like you were, uh, very, uh, compliant. Uh, he never really caused us trouble. He was a little hyper, but that was okay. I, he was also an excellent athlete and Mm -hmm. a musician and just so much talent in his little body and so we had so much fun and he helped my wife around the house so oh I divorced his dad when he was four and got married or not married we couldn't yet but got with my wife a year later and um he so he's grown up with her and he loves her and he she loves him and so she'd help her do electrical work around the house and fix the cars (laughs) and stuff like that and he was just delightful I felt like such a good mom like you are killing it you're doing so good. And then the walls came a tumbling down at adolescence. He, uh, I think every adolescent goes through identity issues. And when you are a transracial intercountry adoptee, oh, that adds many layers of identity issues. So he hit the wall at about 13, we think. He started getting more sullen, less talkative, slept a lot. Um, 
closed his door a lot. And I thought he was just masturbating. Mm. My wife, on the other hand, who had used drugs when she was much younger, she's like, Beth, something's wrong. He's in his room all the time with the door closed. That's not cool. Mm. Like, oh, just leave him be. He's an adolescent. He's doing adolescent things. (laughs) And so I didn't listen. And I should have listened because she was right. He was using drugs. Mm. And I didn't know until he landed in the psych hospital with a mental health crisis. And then the next day, the doctor said, oh, by the way, when he came in, he had a bunch of drugs in his system. I'm like, what? Mm. I had no idea. I was so clueless. And we were sharing custody. So he's with his dad half the time. And his dad was buying it for him Mm. and making it available for him to use at his house. So he was sneaking it at our house. But at his dad's house, he was making sure he had it. And he had no restrictions on it there at 14 and 15. So that's pretty horrible. And you didn't know that that was happening no he didn't tell us until after the doctor told me and he goes well well he was asking for something to help him sleep so I got him some cannabis I'm like what oh my god it was a night it is a nightmare with his dad because it's still the same I was just gonna ask did he ever take responsibility for any of that no he's still buying his stuff (gasps) for him making it available for him and then uh being emotionally abusive about it saying why can't you hold a job why why do you keep using drugs and then he just turns around and buys it so it's it's extremely frustrating and he's just impossible to change we you know we've called the cops we've called cps child protective services on him and many times and nothing has budged him Mm. so at a certain point i was like joey that's my son's name is joey it's you're gonna have to deal with your dad I don't know. I've uh, there's nothing I can do to change your dad. I can't change anybody else. And so this is what we have to deal with and you're going to have to navigate. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So Yeah. But it I it worked it's better after I realized there's literally nothing I can do anymore. I tried every single thing just to back off and just Yeah. That's just how it that's how it is. Yeah. It was making me crazy. So you have a podcast that recently pivoted to adoption and you and Joey and your wife, Jan, right, um, mm-hmm. have been very open about Joey's struggles and um, your son has even encouraged you to keep going with the education and advocacy that you're talking about. And even in his relapsing, um, he continues to want you to take up that torch about adoption, mm-hmm. addiction and suicidal tendency awareness, um, with the podcast and other platforms. So why is it so important that your family be transparent about your story? Yeah, it's, uh, I think a little bit unusual and yeah, my son is totally on board with all of this. I should have said that up front. I always forget. Uh, cause some people are like, you shouldn't be telling your son's story, but he, it was his idea to create the podcast in the first place. We, at the, at the very beginning, it was called Safe Home Podcast, and we educated parents primarily about drugs. And here's what they're called. This is what the kids are calling, and here's how they get them. Here's what they look like. Here's what they do to you. Here's why they can't stop using them. And it was really good. So you can still find those on unravelingadoption.com. You can go back and find the early, early uh, episodes. And we we all just realized very close to the beginning of this uh, journey that this better help somebody else because this is torture to go through for everyone. And we got to transform it into something that's going to help people. And it was my son's idea. And then we were about six weeks into the podcast and just going full bore. And he relapsed and ran away back to his dad's. 
And when it was evident what was going to be happening, that I knew he was going to be gone, I was like, what do you want to do with the pod, Joey? Do you want me to hold it for you? Do you want me to wait? Or do you want me to keep going? He goes, mom, I want you to keep going. And I want you to talk about relapse. I want you to talk about real stuff, you know? And so we did. Jen and I got on there and talked about what it was like to have our son run away. He like literally walked 23 miles to his dad's house wow. so he could go relapse. So that was a bad day. And um, a couple weeks later, I'm really proud of this episode. I, I invited Joey to come on the pod and talk about relapse mm. in relapse. Wow. He was still in relapse, but able to speak, obviously. Um, but he talks about how hard it is to be kind of stigmatized by society and what kind of support he needs, even in relapse, that if we just slam the door on him, that doesn't help him at all. So we're all trying to uh, keep an open relationship and he's in and out. Uh, he's out so far of, rela of relapse. He's in recovery for about six days as of this recording. Mm. So I'm very grateful for that, yeah. but he keeps dipping in and out. It's, it's pretty unstable right now. And I'm hoping maybe this is the one, but uh, it's very typical in addiction to go back and forth a few times till you really are like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so talk about the pivot. So the original concept was what, and then why yeah. did you decide to kind of make it more adoption focused? Yeah. So the Safe Home podcast, we had four main topics, addiction, mental health. We talked about suicidality quite a bit, depression, that kind of thing, and uh, adoption and diversity as a transracial adoptee being Asian and uh, racism and that kind of thing and LGBTQ stuff too. So we talked about all those things and it ends up hard to market a podcast like that to so many things. It's so yeah. many. So it was too broad. So uh, I wanted to narrow it down and I just, as I kept working, I just kept getting drawn more and more into the adoption world. I'm not exactly sure why, because it's really pretty depressing, honestly. And <laughs> it's yeah. like not a lot of fun stuff. It's really difficult stuff, but mm -hmm. I just feel like the tools that I've built up over the years from before this happened with Joey and certainly the last four years with Joey, I realize I can be a voice out there for other adoptive parents. And that's where my heart is. And I just keep going that way. I, I'm i waiting for my interest to wane a bit, but it is just getting stronger and yeah. stronger. So in the first of the year, I switched the title to Unraveling Adoption. But it's basically the same thing. I'm, I didn't change really anything else except for the title and that all of the episodes are going to be somehow related to adoption. But we're still, of course, talking about addiction and mental health and diversity because that's it kind of comes with adoption. Right. <laughs> those things. So I've gone back and started listening to those earlier episodes um, this week. And in fact, I just listened to the one you and Jan did about when he ran away um, today. Yeah. And, you know, Joey was on the podcast and anybody listening, if you, you need to go back and listen to those. If, if you want to come out of the fog quick, <laughs> just go mm. back and listen to those episodes and you were asking him some pretty hard questions. And I mean, the answers were even harder to listen to and I'm not even his mom. So what were yeah. you thinking when he was revealing everything about the drugs and the vaping and the cough medicine and how unsafe he was being yeah. trying all those things to numb himself? And did you already know what he was going to say when you were asking those questions? <laughs> or was this like a, like a raw on the spot information that you were hearing for the very first time? 
most of the stuff I knew, uh, and and we just wanted to help other people know it too. But there were some surprises. Uh, I'm like, what? <laughs> he did know. what? He drove a hundred miles an hour on PCH with, oh Ooh. lordy, um, and he was 15. He shouldn't have been driving. Period. Much less blacked out. And oh god, there's just so many ways he could have died all along yeah. this way. So yeah, there's some very terrifying moments in there. It's really raw, and. Uh, yeah. But most of the stuff I did know, and we were very open at that point. We, I had gotten a life coach who helped me a lot. Her name's Heather Ross, and she helps parents with addicted kids and young adults. And so she was great, and she helped me learn something called the CRAFT method, which stands for Community Reinforcement and Family Training. And it, it's a way to be open with your child, even when they're using, whether or not they're using, uh, and make it so you are a safe place for them to land whenever they need you. So the openness was there, but there were definitely some surprises in those early episodes. So, ah, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've said, Erin told me before that you were living on the surface, um, mm-hmm. before, you know, the struggles became apparent with Joey. And at some point you had to take a hard look at yourself and not only do that, but also try and help Joey. And when you're a parent dealing literally with, Life, the life and the possible death of your child as a parent, your first instinct is to just forget about yourself and focus on the kid. Oh, so yeah. what did that time of self-evaluation look like? And what advice can you give a parent, let alone an adoptive parent, but any parent mm-hmm. going through that? Um, the importance of self-evaluation and, uh, and self-care and boundary settings and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, that's such a great topic. Uh, so for about a year after his initial mental health crisis, I chased after him and you know, tried to be super mom, tried to get him every single therapy or modality or healing of whatever I could find, literally anything. I was a bulldog at the insurance trying to get him uh, treatments. And I was just like, I'm trying to fix you. I'm trying to fix you. And at one point we were driving. I'll never forget. I know exactly where I was and everything. He says, mom, this is making it worse. You're making me Mm -hmm. want to use drugs. And at the time, I got very angry because I'm like, I can't make you want to use drugs. You're choosing to use drugs. Blah, blah, blah. But he was right. I was making him want to use drugs because I was making him feel like a project to be fixed. And that does not feel good. And he yeah. he was trying to tell me. And it took me a little while. But I got it after I got my life coach. And she her first job was to say, all right, you guys got to work on yourselves, me and my wife. You got to work on yourself. Take you know this oxygen mask thing in the airplane. If your parents don't put on the oxygen mm-hmm. mask first, then you can't breathe and you can't help your kid. You're going to be passed out. And I was pretty much passed right. out at that point. Yeah. I was, oh, I was sick and I was missing all sorts of work and I was just run ragged. I wasn't sleeping. You know, it was terrifying. There was so much life and death kind of issues all the yeah. time. And it was, oh man, I was unraveling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I, so we just said, well, F it he's falling apart already. How much worse can it be? Well, it could have been worse. He could die, but we just let go, you know, let go of the outcome. We didn't let go of him, but we let go of thinking that we can fix anything, you know, and cause we can't fix him at all. There's nothing broken of him for, for starters. He's using a, a coping mechanism to deal with his intense trauma and pain. And he's going to have to figure out how to fix that and fill that hole that he has. And so whatever I do, trying to paste it on him is not going to work. So 
I worked on myself. I ended up going to get taiko drumming lessons, which is the Japanese drumming, mm. you know, with the giant arms and it's super fun. It, it connected me with Joey's heritage. Yeah. I really wanted him to do it with me, but he won't do it because it's not cool anymore when your mother does it. So, <laughs> but I love doing it. It's been a great type of therapy for me. It's very somatic mm. and it's in your body and it's uh, cathartic. And I just release a lot of energy that way. And then I've gone to several different kinds of therapy. I've even done psychedelic therapy through this process. I've done EMDR. I've done breath work. I've done brain spotting. <laughs> I've done just about everything you can do to try to find yourself. And so it's helped me tremendously. What did you find helpful? What were the most helpful modalities that you found for yourself? Uh, oh, interesting. Well, the psychedelic therapy was transformative. Uh, and it's illegal still. So I had to do it under mm -hmm. the radar and, uh, but it was amazing. So what does that look like? It looked like three sessions on zoom with this guide before. So three, like three weeks before, and then an eight hour session with him there the whole time, wow. making sure I'm okay. And then three sessions after. So this is not like an eight hour session. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Was that like so draining? Yeah. Yeah. It was very draining. I did it during my sabbatical from my church job because I knew I was going to be reeling for a bit afterwards. And I was, it was hard. It was not happy. It was not like a fun party drug at all. I used psilocybin and, uh, mushrooms and it was tough, but it rerouted my brain. I've heard that other people say that. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. And I'm very hopeful that therapeutic psychedelics are coming on board. It's not far off, maybe another year or two mm. where MDMA at least, which is not exactly a psychedelic, but close is going to be available for PTSD and depression. Mm. But I realized in my experience that I was not depressed. Like I thought I would have been my whole life. I was repressed, which is very different. Yeah. And it just shifted a lot of things. That was really, really powerful. I've also found EMDR to be extremely transformative and quick. Mm. It's a, it's quick, I guess, maybe partly because I've done a lot of other work leading up to it. But if, if you can get to the place where you can let your mind solve your problems for you, yeah. just go into that EMDR, you watch the little, the mm -hmm. dots go back and forth with your eyeballs. Somehow it loosens up your brains and it's, it's really great. And I'm hoping that someday Joey can do EMDR because uh, I know that that is helpful for adoptees. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about the psychedelics for him because he's, abuse psychedelics. That's one of the things that made him want to kill himself with psychedelics, but he didn't do it in a therapeutic sense. He used gigantic amounts of LSD in his bedroom by himself. So that's really dangerous. Oh, and he also used DMT. I always like to let people know because people don't understand DMT is another type of psychedelic and it's really, really strong. And instead of like the eight hours that I had on mushrooms, it's like 20 minutes up and down. Oh wow! And it's really a strong quick hit. And guess what? The kids vape it. It's vaped. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So his dealer that was getting him the weed was like, hey, I've got this other thing. Do you want to try this? And of course they do. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. The answer is always going to be yes. And so, yeah, he's he's done enough psychedelics to last him a lifetime. But maybe after his brain heals and he's like 25 or 30, he can go back and do some therapeutic psychedelic work because I think it does get to that space uh, where the trauma lives. Has he found anything that kind of works for him? I mean, I know he's in and out, you know, of relapse, but I mean, or is he yeah. trying something new or? 
Where is he at? I have offered him many different things. I, I kind of call it creating a smorgasbord for him. I say, oh, look, over here, you can have this if you want it. If you want this, it's here. If you want this. He has had a kind of a spiritual guide help him with some early trauma release work. Like he he's done like real physical kind of things, mm -hmm. beating a bat on his bed and this, that kind of thing and just really <sighs> getting some of his yeah. anger out. Yeah, that's been the best. All of the stuff our healthcare system provided him was pretty much worthless. Yeah. And made him feel stigmatized and made him feel like he was bad. So, and we tried lots of things and he's tried several treatment modalities and uh, rehabs and things like that. It's been really disappointing actually that way. But, you know, I'm trying to get him to join Fireside or join the men adoptee groups mm -hmm. or the addicted and adopted groups. There's so many groups yeah. out there and he's just so scared. So he, he knows where they are. He yeah. knows that I can help him find him when he's ready. Yeah. And so hopefully I think that community is going to be huge yeah. for him if he can find a community of other adoptees. So, so I kind of want to pivot here for a minute and um, ask how has Joey enriched your life? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, before all of this went down, I learned about baseball and uh, I learned about, you know, the whole body. You know, he lives in his body so fully, or he did before drugs, actually, but he is just so embodied. And I just marveled at mm -hmm. him. He is just agile and it, aware of his body. He was one of those kids that the other parents were afraid was going to fall off the playground because he was always at the very top and just, just scampering around. So great. So I love that he's so embodied. And so that was a joy to watch when he was little, but since the crisis four years ago, he has been my biggest teacher. I think that in my previous lifetimes, I've been a super big control freak because I'm learning about releasing control in this lifetime. And Joey's been a huge teacher in that. Mm. I cannot, I cannot convince him or say the right words or provide the right resources for him to decide to quit drugs or to find help or whatever. Ah, oh, I wish I could. I wish I could. I wish I could push a button because he certainly would like yeah. to be healed, you know, but it's, it can't come from me. So that's been my biggest lesson overall is that I cannot change anyone else. I can't change his dad. I can't change him. I can't change my wife. I can't change anybody except for myself. So I've been doing a deep dive and going deeper than I ever thought I would go it's deeper than I want to go some days. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard work. Right. Um, so I'm very grateful that my son is in my life and that he has, uh, he has taken me on this journey. And I always in our podcast, I always say we're walking together. I'm walking side by side instead of dragging him now behind me. We're walking side by side. We're both on this journey called life and he's no better or worse than me. And we're just all trying to get through and find our path. So it's kind of how I feel now. Yeah. Is your, um, do you have good communication with him right now? Is he open with like what his day to day is and if he does relapse. Yeah, he does tell me. I usually know a little bit before cuz his I can tell by his behavior. Yeah. If and yeah. if he starts not returning my calls or not reaching out then I'm like, "Okay, he's probably using it again cuz then he doesn't really want to talk to me." But um he usually talks to me every day 
and he shares songs with me. He's a great musician. He shares songs with me. Some of them are really sad to listen to, <laughs> and, um, but he's really talented. And uh, he, he tells me, uh, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but he is, seems to be telling me, you know, everything that's going on with him. And I try to make it very clear that he can anyway, mm-hmm. and that I will not turn him away uh, no matter what. Uh, he's not able to live here anymore because of his dad. Basically, we've we we've had him here several times in recovery, and then his dad will either pick him up or he'll run away back to his dad's, and we're like, ah, we can't do this anymore. So our relationship's actually yeah. improved greatly since we've been trying to juggle back and forth. So now he's there or at rehab or wherever he's at, but he and I are still. My goal with him is to just be the same every day mm-hmm. with him, whether he's using, whether he's not, whether I'm not sure. It's still the same for me. I just give him unconditional positive regard. How are you doing? What can I do? Is there anything I can help you with? Here's what the dogs did. <laughs> you know? And it yeah. doesn't always have to be like, are you in recovery right now? What drugs have you been using? Right. You know, right. it's his business at this point. Yeah. 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 So he's in process still of yeah. working through. He, he realizes, uh, he knows that the drugs are not doing anything for him anymore. Even when he goes and relapses, he's like, mm. I don't, I don't even get high anymore. So I, he knows that it's yeah. doing him no good. And everything's still there when he comes out. Yeah. Yes. So he's you starting know. to get that, but it's still really hard to quit. And I understand that yeah. I've got my own yeah. addictions to stuff that right. I get it. It's really hard to quit. So, well, sometimes it gets, it wears on you when, you know, those type of things keep coming up. And I think you feel like I just need a break. I just need a quick break, you know, from, sure. from it, from life or whatever, oh, yeah. whatever it is. So. And he says, Oh, I can handle it. I can just use a little. And don't we all do that? Oh, I'll just eat a little ice cream or I'll just work a few hours. I won't work the whole weekend. And then you end up doing that. Right. Yeah. So it's the same thing. He's doing the same thing. Yeah. I'll just read a few Facebook posts and then go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Two hours later. <laughs> I know. It's a, Why am I still looking this stupid? I know. Yeah. So I get it. I get it. And it's also super hard to watch. Yeah. I can't imagine. And I know this next question is hard to put in a nutshell, but what, what do you want to tell potential and current adoptive parents? What would you want them to know? Okay. Hmm. We'll start with the current ones because uh, you can't really go return your child. Don't recommend that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, so if you've adopted, I would recommend that you get therapy for yourself. That's my number one. Go get therapy. Uh, Take care of yourself. Take care of your own needs first so you can be there for your kid. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. So Mm -hmm. take some time. Go get yourself started working and find an adoption competent therapist, ideally, that you can talk through issues around infertility and stuff that's happening with your kid and yourself, you know, as an adoptive parent. So get your own therapy. That's super important. And it's not your kid. Your kid is not broken. It's not, they're not a problem. There's no problem really. It's just how things are. This is the journey that we all are on. Yeah. So destigmatize that. Um, and then find, you know, people that are doing the same thing that can help you like for instance, my aptitude support group for adoptive parents facing adoptions challenges. So there's a whole bunch of us that have kids that are using drugs, that have kids that are estranged, that are uh, have eating disorders, that 
are have rad which is reactive attachment disorder which is another way to say i had to cope with extreme ways of dealing with things because of abandonment issues um and so we are all trying to learn and grow and we listen to adoptees and bring in adoptees to our group and uh, have lots of resources there now if you're thinking about adopting I would love it if you also would come into our group and see what we're all working on and see if this is really something you want to get involved with. And I would also recommend you read The Primal Wound before you adopt and and or watch. There's a wonderful documentary called Reckoning with the Primal Wound that I highly recommend, especially if reading is not your favorite thing. Go watch a 90 minute film. It gives you the basic idea of the book, The Primal Wound, and it. you know, if I had seen something like that, I might have still adopted and gone, well, that won't happen to me. But at least I would have known mm-hmm. that it could happen yeah. and that it was a risk. You know, yeah. adoptees are four times as likely to attempt suicide, which my son has done a dozen times. Mm. And if I had known that, how many things I would have done differently? They're 43% more likely to have a substance use disorder in their lifetime. If I had known that, what I would have done differently. So if you're thinking about adoption, just open your eyes, go talk to some adult, adult adoptees, go yeah. see what it's like. And if you decide not to adopt, it's really sad because then that's kind of the end of the road for your, your family building, but there's fostering, there's, you know, being a mentor, there's all sorts of other ways to build families that are not, um, as permanent and as, uh, fraught yeah. as adoption. So is there any way for Joey to find out any biology besides like doing DNA or something like you, was it totally yeah. closed adoption or? It was a closed adoption and I'm pretty sure no one will be happy to hear from him mm. <laughs> because of the social mores in Japan. Um, they basically said, we don't ever want to hear from you again, but uh. Also, we have his birth mother's name, so Mm. it would not be that hard in her town where she's from. So it wouldn't be hard to find her. Uh, I'm letting Joey figure out when is the right time. I've I've asked him, you know, after he turned 18, he's like, Mom, I am trying to recover from substances. I cannot add this, which I think is super smart. Yeah. But he's he knows that if and when he's ever ready, I can help him and we can traipse to Japan and whatever he needs to do. And I, I really feel like that it might hold the key to some of his trauma and his attachment if he can find some of his birth relatives. Mm. But as you have demonstrated, it could also make things more difficult. So (laughs) I'll I'll let him know. I'll let him tell me when he's ready or if he wants me to help at all. But, you know, that'll have to be on his timeline when he feels stable enough to do that. Right. So you've talked about some of the resources um, that your that you have available is there any other ones that you want to tell us about any upcoming events or uh, web pages or how can people find you and if they're needing help like what what resources do you have yeah so our website is unravelingadoption.com and we have the podcast and the aptitude support group we have a book club and we have events like uh, we just screened that reckoning with the primal wound film uh i'm not sure when this will air but on march Eleventh, uh, we're going to be hosting Kat Linquist, who is a um, an adoptee, and she's an intuitive, and she uses a modality called 
magnetic mind to release trauma. So, uh, and it's free. And so I put on events like that, sponsor events and to help anyone in the adoption constellation. And I, I have a, my main push is to help adoptive parents. I feel like that's where I'm feeling a need that there's not very many adoptive parents out in this space, uh, speaking out on this stuff. So that's where I really feel like I can reach people is, is aiming towards the adoptive parents that are willing to look at it. You know, if they're kind of on the edge of coming out of the fog or coming out of the fog and realizing, oh my gosh, I need help. So right now I'm feeling like I'm, I'm a connector. I connect people Mm -hmm. to resources. I provide education and, uh, like, uh, send people to different resources. I am in a coaching program. So hopefully by summer, I will be a family coach, so a parenting coach. So that is coming up in the future. So hopefully I can work one-on-one with families or parents and have groups, you know, maybe groups of adoptive parents or adoptive parents and their teenagers or something like that um, is in my my dream list of things to do. (laughs) Are you seeing or sensing that adoptive parents are coming out of the fog more or are you still feeling resistance to looking that there's anything wrong with adoption? I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just where I'm at, but I feel like people are willing to look at it. The ones that that come to me are the ones that have their kids that are using drugs and that are running away and are, are full of chaos. So they're desperate. They're like, okay, I give up. Tell me what to do. Well, like where I was like, okay. I am completely lost here and my adoption therapist and my group that I went to helped me so much. So I feel like the, that type of parent that's having struggles is right. Re- they're ready. They're, they're being like, forced. I don't know what else to do, <laughs> but there are still some, you know, there's an, a, a couple of groups online that are like, there's one called you are mom. It's for adoptive parents. And the title alone just kind of gives me the, the creeps like, yeah. well, they do have another mom. I'm sorry to say <laughs> they yeah. do have two yeah. and you are not the only one, but, um, I think though there's all those, even in the adoptive community, you know, birth mom community, I think there's some of those sprinkled yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So there's those, but I go in there sometimes and I just like drop, maybe you should read the problem wound or, you know, I just drop little things here and there and people, I think people are starting to wake up and realize about trauma in general, about attachment. I I see a lot of parents that are working hard and it's a tough pill to swallow for adoptive Mm -hmm. parents. There's a lot of guilt and shame involved on our side and uh, we feel responsible. And, but I try not to live in the guilt because that doesn't help anybody. Mm -hmm. And I just try to turn around and help other people. That's how I deal with my guilt is I try to tell other people don't do what I did figure this stuff out sooner than me. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Oh, golly. I think that's it. Just, um, I just really appreciate the opportunity to share on your show. And I, I appreciate so much our collaboration. And yeah, I think we're both, even though we're in different parts of the constellation, I think we're both definitely on the same team and trying to do the same, the same work, trying to help people find their healing path. So thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, geez, <laughs> you're such a warrior out there when you you were talking about, I mean, I'm not really sure why I'm, you know, doing this because it's just like um, a difficult space, especially for adoptive mm-hmm. parents. But mm-hmm. I totally know why you're 
where you're at. Um, because I mean, I know adoptive parents can be the bad guy, you know, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the subject, but, um, and I do bet you get beat up in the space Mm -hmm. or in some of these forums, but you keep going and it's such important work. And I, I want to thank you as an adoptee for everything you're doing to get the word out about relinquishment, um, as well as talking about suicide and addiction and these super difficult subjects that many adoptees face and nobody wants to talk about or hear about. So, you know, it's just time to educate the world. And um, I also appreciate the collaboration. So thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Melissa. And I hope that my work in the space will alleviate a little of the, the stuff that you guys as adoptees have to answer to. If I can help the adoptive parents over here, like say, okay, please don't ask them. Why are they not grateful? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. I try to try to take some of the heat away from you guys. Um, yeah. of course, without taking away your voice, but if I can take some of that over here and I can help them over here in our own little corner, I hope that helps, um, adoptees too. So, yeah, well, let me speak for the adoptee community. We, we appreciate everything that you're doing. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate all you're doing. I'll keep following whatever, Whatever, wherever your podcast and all of your work leads to. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Beth. Welcome. Thank you. I really do appreciate everything Beth is trying to do in getting the word out to adoptive parents about adoption and what just can happen to these children that have the primal wound. The education needs to start before the adoption process. A lot of times there's reasons that people are adopting and a lot of times it is because they're not able to have children of their own, which is a whole other issue that needs to be dealt with before you put that band-aid of another child that is not biologically yours into your family. If you are an adoptive parent or thinking about adopting, go back and listen to those first episodes with Joey and Beth. They are so raw and so real. You will be amazed at the things that Joey reveals that parents need to know, and not just adoptive parents, but parents in general. He is so smart, so articulate, and so willing to be open and honest about everything that he has done and everything that he's feeling and thinking. So, so powerful. All of the links to Beth and her social media is in the show notes. I want to thank those that have been subscribing to the podcast. I have been seeing the numbers going up, so I appreciate it so much. You are helping in the cause of getting the adoption platform out there. So thank you so much. If you have not subscribed, please consider doing so. It is free. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com or I am also on Instagram and Facebook under Mind Your Own Karma. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.